0: to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are all having a great day. Let me ask you, as I always do, if you find after watching this and listening to it that you enjoyed it or learned something. Do me a favor, smash that like button. Now, let's get started. Brian Koberger appeared in court on Friday. In case you're interested in the superficial details, he was uncuffed and wearing a light blue suit and a striped tie. He appeared both nervous at times and relaxed at others, and at other times he smiled. Note that victim, Bailey Gonzalez's family, was inside the courtroom, and watching just feet away from Coburger, One of her relatives, a woman, wore a pro firing squad t-shirt. It's unclear if Brian noticed that. So the defense attorneys and prosecutors were there to discuss six motions, Some of the motions were filed by the defense and some were filed by the prosecutors. Judge John Judd, who presided over the hearing, listened to more than five hours of arguments on these various motions. One of them was the defense's request for a stay or pause, meaning a temporary stop to the proceedings that continue to move Koberger toward a trial in October. Note that this was the second time Koberger's attorneys requested a stay. Judge Judge denied the stay and reconfirmed the scheduled trial date of October 2nd. Jury selection is slated to begin on September 25th. Of course, nearly every lawyer on YouTube, when asked if the trial will really take place in October, has said that that's highly unlikely, because you have four victims of murder, not just one, and you have a death penalty case. Those factors make for a very complicated trial. The judge also shot down the defense's claims that Idaho state code was violated during the grand jury selection, when only 32 people were called instead of the 45 that that are required. The judge also stated that there was no substantial failure on the jury selection questionnaires, which the defense had been claiming. It would appear that the defense had hoped that by saying the state failed to follow all the rules of grand juries in Idaho that the judge would drop the indictment of Brian Koberger. Well, it did not work. Moving on to the other motions discussed yesterday, Frankly, most of those five hours were spent discussing the DNA evidence in the case. Koberger's defense attorneys are questioning the match made between the touch DNA found on the leather sheath at the crime scene and Brian Koberger. The defense wants more information from the prosecutors about how the DNA was tested, how genetic genealogy databases like 23andMe were used to create a family tree that ultimately led them to Brian Koberger. Koberger's defense attorney, Ann Taylor, brought four expert witnesses to the hearing to argue why it's so important that the defense know exactly how the DNA was tested, what genetic genealogy databases were used, and more. Taylor is arguing that she and her team cannot effectively challenge that DNA evidence during a trial if they don't have all the information. Taylor said this to the judge. They have provided full DNA discovery for the sheath, but not the other three unidentified male DNA samples, end quote. So DNA from three unidentified males was found at the crime scene house, but not tested. Lataw County prosecuting attorney Bill Thompson said that those three samples did not qualify for input into CODIS, which in case you don't know, is the combined DNA index system, where DNA profiles of convicted felons, DNA from unsolved cases, and DNA from missing persons is kept and used to track down offenders. Thomas replied to Taylor, quote, We have given the defense everything that we have received from the lab. They've asked for DNA workups on other people. To the extent that they don't have them, they weren't done. We can't produce something that doesn't exist, end quote. To me, this sounds like that unidentified male DNA wasn't tested because once the DNA on the leather sheath was found, that's where the detectives focused their investigation. Thompson did say that the only thing that hasn't been handed over to the defense is one outstanding test remaining at the lab at this time. As soon as the prosecution gets those results, Thompson said they'd hand them over. The prosecution also stated that they've shared everything with the defense regarding the DNA evidence that they plan to use at trial. The prosecution's viewpoint seems to be this. The only thing that is important is that they tied the touch DNA on the sheath first to Brian Koberger's father from that item of trash that detectives in Pennsylvania pulled from the trash can and then to Brian Koberger when they took a cheek swab from him upon his arrest. Brian's DNA was a near match to the DNA on the sheath. Thus, the prosecution is saying that this is the result. Brian Koberger matches the DNA on the sheath, and the results that show that is all the defense needs to see. But the defense, who have to wage an effective defense of their client, is arguing that they need to know exactly what processes and what mechanisms were used to arrive at that match. They say they can't fully prepare an effective defense for Koberger if they don't know exactly what happened with the touch DNA throughout the investigation. The defense also wants to know how detectives went about creating Koberger's family tree because there are privacy laws that may have been violated in the process. Ultimately, the judge said that he will issue a ruling on this DNA situation at a later date. So while Judge Judge heard all these arguments from the defense and the prosecution regarding the DNA, he didn't make a decision about it. I suspect that Judge Judge will later rule that the prosecution has to hand over all that information. The DNA on the leather sheath is really the primary evidence linking Koberger directly to the crime scene. The defense basically has to try and poke holes in that DNA if they want to get their client off on the charges. The DNA on the sheath, in my mind, it's powerful, especially when combined with the cell phone data showing that Koberger's cell phone was in the student's King Road neighborhood 11 times prior to the crime. The video footage where a white sedan, believed to be Coburger's Hyundai Elantra, passes by the student's house multiple times on the morning of the crime and survivor Dylan Mortensen's description of the masked man she saw inside the house, right when the crime was happening. But all that evidence is circumstantial. don't have video of Koberger actually inside the house, In the act of harming the students, another motion discussed on Friday is Koberger's alibi, the one where he said that he often takes late-night drives and that that's what he was doing on the night and morning when the students were killed, November 13th of 2022. Basically, the alibi the defense offered up is that Koberger can't be the perpetrator because he was out in his Elantra on a solo drive when the crime occurred. The prosecution is arguing that Koberger's lawyers need to cough up more information about this late-night drive alibi, such as evidence proving that his car was somewhere else at the time of the crime, and also alibi witnesses who can corroborate Yay, I think I said that right on my very first try, that Koberger was elsewhere when the crime went down. I've heard several criminal defense attorneys say that this alibi is a weak argument. Argument. One of them, named Joe Tamburino, said this to CBS News An alibi defense is not. I simply wasn't there at the time. It's, you must provide specifically where you were, time, place. Also, if you have any witnesses, end quote. Now, I don't think the defense has such information to share with the prosecution. I think if they had a witness who could verify that Koberger was somewhere other than the King Road residence when the crime occurred, then they would have already shared that. So they're sort of in a pickle. Bottom line, the defense is trying everything to effectively weigh a defense for Koberger. Their attempt to throw out the indictment didn't work. Their request for a second stay to the proceedings didn't work. But their request for all the DNA information from the prosecution may have worked. It may be granted. It all depends on what Judge Judge says once he's made his decision. I hope this helps. These legal wranglings are incredibly complex. I think what we're witnessing is exactly what happens in these cases when you have top-notch defense attorneys who want to make sure that no stone is left unturned in their quest to get their client off the charges, and when the prosecution is sure they have the right offender, and that they also want to make sure someone they believe to be highly dangerous and who likely would re-offend is locked away in a prison cell. So that's it for the Brian Koberger hearing. Hope this adds to your understanding of it. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Did you learn anything? Did you enjoy this? Please smash that like button and please leave me a comment. See you next time.